Good morning, Golden Corner Church. I am sincerely glad to see you today. Here's a fact. God wants to be actively involved in our lives. It was never his plan to save us and then kind of pull out of the picture and watch us struggle through this life on our own. He planned to guide us, help us, provide for us, fight for us, work through us, and bless us. When God is active, our life will be characterized by the wow factor. You see, God's activity results in what we have started calling wow moments. God will do things for us and through us that amaze or wow us. Unfortunately, it is possible to lose the wow factor and settle for an explainable, natural, boring, uneventful life. And perhaps that has happened to you. If so, I have good news. The wow factor can be restored. We're currently in a sermon series that I've entitled The Wow Factor. And we're studying the Bible together on Sunday morning so that we can learn what it takes to actually restore the wow factor to life. So are you ready to study the Bible together for just a few minutes? Good. We're going to read a few verses together from the Old Testament book of Daniel, chapter 6. But before we do, I've got to set the stage and tell you what's happening. In 605 B.C., and so some of you, it just struck a, a chord of fear in your heart. Like, oh my gosh, he's going to give us some historical data. That is correct. You need to hang tight with me. so that Because it is really... Pertinent to the point that I'm going to be making, in 605 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and the Babylonian armies invaded Jerusalem, and they took some young men captive, took them back to Babylon, and King Nebuchadnezzar noticed in some of these Jewish men potential. What he considered to be incredible potential. So he had them enrolled in a three-year-long training program, and when they graduated from the program, they were placed in leadership positions in the government of Babylon. One of these young men's name was Daniel. Daniel so excelled at everything he was ever given to do, and he was a man of such exceptional character that While serving a succession of Babylonian kings, he was constantly promoted throughout the course of his life. When he was an old man, the Medes and the Persians invaded and overthrew Babylon, and a new king named Darius took the throne. And one of the first things Darius did was he decided to restructure his now greatly expanded kingdom. He broke his kingdom into 120 provinces, and over each province, he placed what we'd probably call a governor. Then he created a new level or tier of leadership 
that consisted of three men. He called them his administrators, and they would provide leadership to the governors. They probably had 40 governors that were uh, reporting to each administrator. And Darius chose Daniel to be one of these three administrators, and these three administrators would all report directly to the king. That's a pretty good step for a Jewish boy in a foreign land who is no more really than a prisoner. Well, he so he performed to such a degree as an administrator, Darius couldn't help but take notice, and he made a decision, I'm going to adjust the governmental hierarchy one more time. And I'm going to take Daniel out of that position and replace him in that threesome, and I'm going to create an entirely new position directly under me. So that 120 governors will report to three administrators. The three administrators will report directly to Daniel. And Daniel will be the only one who reports to me so that in essence, and this is what the Bible said, Daniel was now going to be over this entire kingdom. Now how do you think the people responded when they heard that Daniel was going to get this big promotion? Man, you've got to believe that when they consider his story, that he was taken captive, that he's been a prisoner. And, and, and look, at, look at the success story. He's, now look where he's at. He's the, really the number two man in the entire country. I mean, you would think that, wouldn't they? Huh? I mean, in all that, he's a foreigner in our culture. I mean, this guy's excelled. So wouldn't people, if somebody from your peer group got the ultimate promotion, they passed over you, wouldn't you applaud? Huh? They didn't applaud. It made them mad. They were jealous. He was a foreigner. And there had to be people who had been working with Darius their entire lives, and all of a sudden, here's this guy who's relatively new, and he has passed right over us, and he's giving him the job. So this is what they concluded. We're going to prevent this promotion from ever taking place. And here's how we're going to do it. We're going to find the skeletons in his closet. We're going to find the dirt on him. And we're going to bring it to light so that we ruin him and keep this from happening. Now, you're hanging with me, right? You still, you're still with me? You see what's taking place? So they launched this careful investigation. I believe they got the IT guy to access his emails where they could all read them, assuming that there's going to be something damning in those emails that we can use, or perhaps we just find out that he's sending personal emails on company time. Now, certainly no one would ever do that, huh? Perhaps they got a tap on his office phone and said, we're going to find out that uh, we're going to hear him maybe slandering the boss and we can pass that on or, or at least we can find out that he's using the phone to make personal calls on company time. Now, who would do that? Okay. Why is it getting so quiet? Maybe they had somebody watch him closely, just trying to find out, does he really work a full week, or is he kind of taking advantage of his position? Does he use the corporate jet to take elaborate personal vacations? Does he abuse the executive expense account? I'm telling you, they looked so carefully, and they they had their meetings to share with each other what they'd found, and this is what they had found, nothing. They couldn't even find a staple gun that he had taken home from the office. He lives.
lived a squeaky clean life. So one of them had an idea. There's only one way we're going to get some dirt on this guy. We got to make right wrong. Because all the dude ever does is right. And we're going to make right wrong because if we make right wrong, he's going to keep doing right, and then he's done wrong, and we got him. So they go to King Darius, and Darius must have been having a very busy day, had a, a full plate, and they said, we, we want to suggest something. We want you to make it a law, an irreversible law, by the way, that for the next 30 days, it's illegal to pray to anyone but you. And if anybody violates this law, they're going to be thrown into a den of hungry lions and eaten. Darius says, okay, where do I sign? Signs the bill. It becomes law. That for the next 30 days, you can't pray to anyone but him or else. It's going to be a mess. You're cat food. That's the way it's going to be. I want you to look what happened. When Daniel discovered this, I want you to look what he did. Verse number 10, we're going to read this together. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down. And these next two words are very critical, as usual. Nothing out of the ordinary here. This, he was doing what he usually would do. He knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with his windows open toward Jerusalem. Now, see this? What does that say? He prayed. He prayed three times a day. Another key phrase. Are you seeing this? Just as he had always done. No breaking pattern here. No acceleration of frequency in in his prayer time. This was his typical pattern. Giving thanks to his God. Then the officials went together to Daniel's house and found him praying. These men were so familiar with his prayer life, they knew where he went to pray And when he prayed, they not only knew that he prayed, but they were so familiar with his prayer life, they knew these things. They found him praying and asking for God's help. They caught him red-handed, Trent, caught him in the act. So they go see the king in a very passive-aggressive way. They, King, correct us if we're wrong, but isn't there a law against praying to anyone but you for the next for a, for a month here, isn't there a law? The king's like, yeah, yeah. Now that law, that law, could it be reversed? No, that law can't be reversed. And the penalty now, just, just, just so that I'm clear, the penalty is being fed to hungry lions. Are we correct? Yes, that's correct. You know that's correct. And they said, well, we, we caught a man. We caught a man in the act. All, all of us. And we're here to report him so that you can take the necessary course of action. The king says, who was it? And they said, Daniel. You know what the king felt? Immediately, he was deeply troubled. You know why? He loved and valued this man and I believe at that moment he smelled a rat and he knew what was going on that these guys had set Daniel up the Bible said he spent the entire day looking for an out I believe he called in his corporate lawyers and he began to talk to them about what we can do and they said hey it's a law it's an irreversible law he was caught in the act you've got several witnesses and the 
The evidence against him is insurmountable. Those jack legs come back, and they said, King, you know what you got to do. You need to quit stalling and do it. So Darius has Daniel arrested and apparently goes to the lion's den with him. And the last words he said to Daniel before they dropped him over in this pit full of lions was he said, Daniel, may the God, your God, whom you serve faithfully, rescue you. Daniel was thrown into the pit. A stone was rolled over the entrance. Measures were taken to ensure that nobody tampered with this execution. The king goes home. He's so bothered. He won't eat. Uh, He doesn't sleep. The Bible says he refused all his normal entertainment, no movies, no Game Boy, no nothing. He walked the floors and he paced the entire night. And when daylight came, I want you to look what happened. Verse number 19. Very early the next morning, the king got up and hurried out to the lion's den. When he got there, apparently he had somebody move that stone. He called out in anguish. Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God, whom you serve so faithful, able to rescue you from the lions? Now, in my imagination, I've always just pictured that there was a pause there, Brian. Just maybe just for a second or two, deafening silence, just to build a little drama in the moment. And then all of a sudden, out of the darkness, they hear Daniel's voice. Verse number 21, Daniel answered, long live the king. My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouths so they would not hurt me. For I have been found innocent in his sight and I have not wronged you, your majesty. Daniel made it through the night. How so? He he attributes this to God doing something supernaturally. God sent an angel that held the mouths of the lions shut. There was no biting There was no uh, tearing his body apart piece by piece and devouring his carcass. Listen, there wasn't even any roaring. Their mouths were shut. And God made it that way. And, And apparently the miracle was even greater than that because the Bible says that when they eventually took Daniel out of this lion's den, they examined him for scratches and he didn't have a scratch on him. You know what that means? God did a miracle and would not let these lions extend their claws out of their paw. Oh, I think it gets even better than that. What if these lions are aggressive? So what? They can't open their mouth. They can't bite. They can't extend their claws. Well, if they're aggressive, what if they just slapped him around? Wouldn't he be bruised up? Wouldn't some bones be broken? Well, they weren't. Apparently, Daniel falls into this pit and immediately sees that not one line in the pit is the least bit interested in him. I wonder if they didn't all go fast asleep. That's that's hodgeology, by the way. But something happened that prevented them from showing the least bit of interest in Daniel whatsoever. I got to believe that when when Daniel hit the floor and he stood up and looked around and he saw how disinterested they were, I believe I know what he said. Doc, you know what I believe he said? Wow. Now this is amazing. The king has Daniel taken out of the pit and he's overjoyed. and, And you know, I know, I know what the king said the moment he heard Daniel respond to him. I know what he said. You know what he said, Sam? 
This is amazing. And apparently there were men standing around that had helped to get Daniel out of the pit. They examined him. They saw he hadn't even been scratched. Beverly, I think I know what they said. Wow. Can you believe this? Now the king turns to his guards and he says, Hey, I want you to do something. I want you to go arrest every man that was responsible for this. And while you're at it, you arrest their wives and their kids. You bring them down here to the, bring them to the den. They bring them down. The Bible says that they, these guards took them one by one to the mouth of that pit. And when they would toss them over, these lions were so aggressive. They were so hungry. After all, they'd missed a meal. They'd been fasting for quite a while. They were so hungry that not one person made it to the floor. These cats caught them in mid-hour, mid-air, crushed them, and devoured them. The king is so wild, he sends out a statement throughout his entire kingdom saying that I've been so wowed by Daniel's God, I'm making it a law that everybody's got to respect Daniel's God. And then the story closed by saying this, God continued to bless or prosper Daniel. Now what did we learn in that story? I think it's simple as this. I see that Daniel was wowed by God's protection. Wowed by God's deliverance, wowed by God's vengeance, wowed by the king's reaction, and wowed by God's continual blessings. Oh, Daniel was wowed by God, and I think the lesson is simple as this. People who pray are wowed by God. Now, if you've been here the past three Sundays, you know that's the same lesson we've learned in each and every one of our sermons. Four weeks in a row, we've looked at a different passage of the Bible, and we've come to this conclusion. People who pray are wowed by God. Do you get the idea that God's trying to tell us something? Now, in the other three sermons, we actually narrowed it down to a more specific lesson, and I believe that we can do that today. And Here's what I believe we learned from this story. People who pray often are wowed by God. People who pray often are wowed by God. Daniel prayed often. Three times a day, seven days a week, Daniel prayed. That's 21 appointments for prayer every week. That is often. It appears to be a pattern among the great men and women of the Bible. Psalm 55 tells us that David prayed three times a day. The New Testament tells us that Jesus, and here's the word that's used in the Bible, often withdrew to lonely places to pray. So in light of their example, here's what I'm suggesting we do. Let's start praying often. Ronnie, what does that mean? It means we're going to pray every day, and we're going to pray throughout the day. Now, that's going to be a big change for some of us. For some of us, our prayers are reserved for emergencies only. As a general rule, God doesn't hear from us until we need something. And that's not the way Daniel prayed. He didn't start praying when he learned that he might be an entree for a den of hungry lions. He didn't start praying when something bad happened or when he thought something bad was about to happen. Daniel prayed every day throughout the day, and so should we. Let me give you two reasons. Reason number one, we've got a lot to be thankful for. Now, will you hang with me just a few minutes? 
Why should we pray every day and pray throughout the day? Two reasons. Reason number one, we've got a lot to be thankful for. That was one of the primary reasons that Daniel prayed so much. He was constantly thanking God for his help. Like Daniel, we've got a lot to be thankful for. And I, I, let me tell you what, I know what some of you just thought. Some of you just disagreed with that statement. You just took a look at your life and you just really don't see a lot to be thankful for. Really? You might want to look again. God loves you and gave his son to die for you. Jesus loves you and gave his life for you. And now you're forgiven and they have given you eternal life. Would you think about that for just a moment? In God's mercy, he has refused to give you everything you deserve. And in his grace, he has insisted on giving you everything you don't deserve. You're one of God's kids and you've got access to all that he has. You're not going to hell. But rather... You're going to heaven. You say, Ronnie, I know, I know, but my life is just not good right now. Don't forget that Daniel was captive in a foreign land. People had stolen his freedom and torn him away from his family and everything he'd ever known. But in spite of this, he was thankful. Even in less than ideal circumstances, God was good to Daniel and Daniel was grateful for Take a close look at your life and you'll find circumstances for which you should be thankful. Reason number two, we should pray often because we need a lot of help. If you read Daniel's story, you'll discover that Daniel was trying to live godly in an ungodly culture. He was under constant pressure to conform to a way of life that was not pleasing to God. And if he didn't conform, he was going to be greatly persecuted. That's why I often prayed for God's help. I think that we're in a very similar situation. We're trying our best to live like Christians in an anti-Christian world. We're under constant pressure to conform to a lifestyle that is contrary to what God wants. And if we don't conform, somebody is going to make us their target. If we're going to remain faithful, we've got to have God's help daily. That's why we should pray every day and throughout the day. Daniel prayed often, and God wowed him with protection, deliverance, and blessing. So what are we going to do? We're going to pray often, and if we're going to do that, all of us have got to be two things. Number one, we must be intentional. Daniel prayed intentionally. He prayed on purpose. He planned and scheduled prayer into each day. Therefore, like clockwork, three times a day, Daniel stopped what he was doing and he went to his special place at a set time for the sole purpose of talking to God. If we're going to pray often, we're probably going to have to follow Daniel's example and we've got to become intentional about praying. You ask Ronnie, do you do this? Oh, yeah, I do. And um, I was saved on January the 21st, 1979, which means recently I celebrated my 37th spiritual birthday. Huh? I was saved when I was two, so uh, that, you can add that up. <laughs> During that first year that I was a Christian, I heard a message 
and I'm, I referred to this in, one of the, er, in the first sermon I did this year. And uh, the man was preaching about how we ought to have a place and a time every day, a place we could go to and a time that's just reserved for talking to God. Man, that message, I took that seriously. And I, I really began to try to do that. And then by the end of the year, my first year of being a Christian, I met this man named Dean Hughes, and he did it. And I saw the results fleshed out in his life. And Sarah, I wanted what he had. And I knew to have what he had, I had to do what he did. And so I made a commitment that I would start setting aside a specific time every day for the sole purpose of prayer. And, 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 God, and you say, Ronnie, what difference has it made? Well, I've often been wowed by God. But I guess the biggest way God wowed me was by turning my relationship with Him into a friendship. These scheduled times of prayer were critical to the process of building, enjoying, and improving my relationship with God. Let me give an example. What if we only talk to our spouse when we want something or we're upset about something. Listen, if that's the only time we communicate, the relationship is going to slowly but surely deteriorate. In a marriage, there must be time to be alone with our spouse, all alone. Time to focus completely on one another. Time for undistracted, meaningful conversation. And the same is true in our relationship with God. If the only time we talk to God is is when we're panic-filled and and we've just got these rushed requests for God's help, our relationship with Him will never be what it ought to be. Meeting alone with God for the sole purpose of prayer has been the single most rewarding thing I've ever done in my life. Most of my big wow moments have come in the context of my relationship with God and as a result of answered prayer. This morning, and I know a lot of folks think this is antiquated, archaic. This is what people used to do, but we're in the 21st century, Ronnie. We've got it figured out. None of us, none of us really need to do that anymore. As a matter of fact, Ronnie, how? I got to tell you that from the day I started doing this, and I know some people think, well, that's what preachers do. If you're full-time in the ministry, you've got nothing else you've got to do, you, you, you could possibly do that. Listen, I did it faithfully long before I became a pastor. I did it every day while holding down a public job. I want you to know that. I'm not asking you to do something that you can't do. I'm asking you to find your place, and it really doesn't matter where it's at as long as it's a place where you could be undistracted. I'm asking you to schedule a time. And you say, when, Ronnie? doesn't really matter. Uh, whatever works for you. For me, I, I really need to do this first thing in the morning. My wife is exactly the opposite. She thrives by doing this as the last thing she does every day. So it really doesn't matter any time. You say, how long should I take? I'd spend at least four hours on it if I were you. <laughs> See, that? I got you. <laughs> I, I'll be honest with you. I, I don't spend a great deal of time doing this every day. As a matter of fact, I use a timer. You say, what? You are one weird dude. I do. And as a matter of fact, I've got it here. That's my timer. You say, I'd have sworn that was a coffee cup. (laughs) It is, and it's also a timer. You know what I do? Every morning, 
I make myself a cup of coffee, Donnie. And I sit down and I allow myself enough time to spend with God. When that cup of coffee is empty, and I'm not a gulper, I am a sipper, I admit that. But when that coffee cup is empty, that's it. It takes me 30 or 40 minutes, and that includes my Bible reading. And so I'm strongly encouraging you to become, to be intentional about praying every day, but also start praying throughout the day. And how do you do that? Now, please be patient with me. How do you pray throughout the day? Now, listen, you got to be intentional, but you also got to be spontaneous. It's not either or, it's both. Spontaneous prayers are not planned. These prayers originate with an awareness that God is with us, that He is listening, that He is willing to help us in anything we're facing and wants to help us. From this awareness come these inner urges to talk to God and to talk to Him immediately and not wait until the next meeting. And as we respond to these inner urges, we find ourselves spontaneously praying throughout our waking hours. Most of these prayers are brief, to the point, and typically prayed within and not out loud. I I want to tell you the story of the day God saved Grady. Left my office one day, I'm going home, I'm going up Highway 11, and I see this beautiful bird dog. And he is zigzagging out and back across Highway 11. You can tell he's not used to this freedom and he's enjoying every minute of it. Cars are braking hard. They're swerving to avoid this dog. And this urge just hit me. You better pray for that dog. I didn't stop, get on my knees. Didn't pray out loud, but in my heart, I said, God, I'm asking you to protect that dog. I want you to get him home to his family safely because I fear that if you don't do something, he's going to be killed. I I went all the way up Highway 11. I turned on the Fowler Road. I go down to my house. I go in the house. I throw my briefcase on the bed. I change clothes. I, I, I don't even remember where I was going, but I was going somewhere. I threw the garage door open. And guess who's sitting in my garage? That dog. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not making this up. That dog was sitting at the foot of my steps in my garage. Now, when I saw that dog, a word came out of my mouth. What do you think it was? Wow. I knelt down and looked at his collar, and his name was Grady. And his owner's number was on her, and I called him. He said, where are you at? And I told him, he said, I'm, I, I just left work, and he said, I, I can be there in minutes. He pulled up in the driveway, and he loaded old Grady up in the truck. Grady would had a great day, man. He'd had a great day, but it's, it's over. <laughs> the man stuck out his hand and shook my hand. He said, I want to thank you for saving Grady. I said, I can't take credit for that. But I want to tell you a story. I told him I'd prayed for Grady. And God sent Grady to my house. And I said, I didn't save Grady. God saved Grady. Guess what word came out of his mouth? Wow. Weeks later, weeks, it was Christmas Eve, doorbell rang. I go to the door, and there stands Grady's man 
He's got a little brown bag. He said, I wanted to bring you this. Opened it up, and inside was a box, a neat little box. And inside that box were flies. You say, horse flies, green flies, what kind of flies? <laughs> Trout flies. This man was a devoted fly fisherman and an expert fly tire. And in that little box was an assortment of some of the most amazing hand-tied original pattern of trout flies I'd ever seen. And he said, I want you to have them. And then he reached in the bag and handed me a jar of honey, local honey from his hives. Now inside, in the kitchen, my wife was making our Christmas Eve dinner, and she was making something she almost never makes. She was making a pan of homemade biscuits. That man had no way of knowing that. But when I pulled the honey out of the bag and I looked at it, you know what I thought? You know what word came to my mind? Wow. And when I ate those biscuits the honey, you know what I said out loud? Wow. To pray often, prayer needs to become as natural and as instinctive as breathing. Be spontaneous. Be intentional and spontaneous in prayer. Pray every day throughout the day. Why? People who pray often are wowed by God. Again and again and again. Let's pray together. Father, it's sinking into us. You want to be more active in our lives. You want to be. And in order for that to happen, we have to pray. We have to pray sincerely. We have to pray often. We have to pray for others. And we need to pray together. So help us, God. Help us get this. I, help it, I pray this settles in and that we become people who pray. You take a minute. And if this is something that you haven't been doing, why don't you pray right now and say, God, lead me to a place. A quiet place that I can frequent often. Show me a time even if I have to make that time. That will help me be more consistent. Help me relax. 
to worry about how long or how little. But to just pray. Ingrain this in my life, God. And just thank you being available to you at this very hour for listening to your prayers and for the direction he's going to give you. Amen. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for listening. Have a great week.